My favorite way to unwind and dive into something more fun is June's Journey. The game lets me channel my inner detective and unlock compelling stories, strong female characters, and a mystery I want to solve. If you like true crime podcasts, it's the perfect game to play along while you listen. The Hidden Object Mystery Game will put your detective skills to the test in the roaring 1920s. You play as June Parker as she tries to solve her sister's murder and along the way uncovers family secrets. Chat and play with or against other players by joining a detective club. Mystery, danger, romance all await you if you download the game now. I'm on chapter four and wondering how these clues will help me crack the case of who did it and why. June needs your help, detective. Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. If you love Snapped, Women Who Murder, you're going to love listening to true crime or mystery titles on Audible. The audio title I'm diving into again is one of my favorites to revisit, Mindhunter by John Douglas and Mark Ulshaker. Even if you think you know the details of the cases, former FBI unit chief John Douglas took on from documentaries or the scripted show, the audio title goes above and beyond in bringing you along with him in his career, trying to catch serial killers and serial perpetrators. He used psychological profiling to dive into the minds of notorious criminals. The title includes his hunt for a killer in Alaska, the Green River Killer, and so much more. As an Audible member, you can choose one title a month to keep from their entire catalog. It is the home of storytelling after all. New members can try Audible free for 30 days. Visit audible.com slash snapped or text snapped to 500-500. That's audible.com slash snapped or text snapped to 500-500. They were a loving couple leading a quirky lifestyle. She always referred to herself as a good witch. I mean, they were just different. You know what I mean? They really loved each other and you could see it. Did their peculiar passions trigger a deadly desire? When we moved that deerskin rug, we found a massive pool of blood. The talk that Sunday night was suicide. As investigators dig into the case, they unearth a trove of secrets and lies. The phrase, don't tell your father, did come up. You did this to my daughter in my house. You were my friend. How dare you? This is a 16-year-old kid. He, he knows what a gunshot sounds like. He always told me, it's a sickness. I love guns. I have to have them. May 17th, 2015. It's a quiet Sunday evening in Oconomowoc, Wisconsin, a thriving lakeside community due west of Milwaukee. Like most of his neighbors, 40-year-old Donald Hansen is at home, savoring the final few hours of the weekend. A lot of the houses on that street, uh, particularly the, the families all knew each other, all certainly were the type to help a neighbor if needed. And that night, one neighbor would desperately need Donald's help. Around 6.30 p.m., Amy Van Wagner ran across the street to a neighbor's house, Don Hansen. She was crying, she was pretty hysterical. She didn't say much, it was just, Stan, he's in the basement. 50-year-old Stan Van Wagner is Amy's husband of over 20 years. She had said something's wrong with Stan, 
and that prompted Don Hansen to go over to the house to find out what was going on. While Amy waits outside, Don enters the Van Wagner residence and heads into the basement. He goes in the basement and he sees a body wrapped in a tarp. Donald Hansen's gruesome discovery will trigger a police investigation, the likes of which the town of Oconomowoc has never seen. By all accounts, Stan and Amy Van Wagner seemed to be leading a charmed life. They had raised three loving children and had carved out a comfortable living in scenic Oconomowoc. But their story actually starts way back in 1986, when Stan, a Massachusetts native, enlisted in the Army and was deployed to Fort Hood, Texas. He always liked driving trucks. He always liked, you know, that's why I got into tanks, I think, in the Army. You know, he liked driving that heavy equipment. And he was really good at it, too. While in Fort Hood, Stan met a young woman named Grace. They quickly fell in love. When Stan's military service was complete, he married her and moved to be near her family in Illinois. Stanley didn't want to come back to Massachusetts. Stanley wanted to be out on his own, doing his own thing, with his own way, and that's pretty much what he did. While the marriage lasted just a few years, after the divorce, Stan decided to move to Wisconsin for work. He really liked Wisconsin. The hunting, the fishing, the outdoors, uh, you know what I mean, the change of the seasons. He just loved it. In addition to the hunting and fishing, Stan developed an unusual new hobby, taxidermy. He made some fun stuff, some raccoon hats. He, he built a deer hide jacket with horns on it on the hood. There was deer hides all over the place. Stan's friends worried that he'd never get a date with a house full of dead animals. But in the summer of 1991, while driving a truck for a local recycling facility, Stan crossed paths with the plant's 27-year-old secretary, Amy Marie Cherwesnik. Like Stan, Amy had always taken pride in living life on her own terms. Amy loved the fact that she was uh, born on October 31st. She celebrated Halloween a good chunk of the year, always referred to herself as a good witch. What you saw is what you got with Amy. She was very real, uh, very down to earth. You never felt judged by her. Pretty soon, the amateur taxidermist and good witch hit it off. And in the summer of 1992, they began dating. We all know Stan and Amy had a dark side, a, a fun dark side. They didn't stick to the social norms and they were both okay with that. They made it look so easy and so fun to be free in that respect. Stanley loved Amy, so my mother said, yes, if it'll make you happy, marry Amy. In 1993, the couple did just that. And of course, they chose to do it their way with a Renaissance-themed wedding. I know they were both very interested in the Renaissance. I have pictures of the Renaissance wedding. It was a beautiful wedding. It was a very unique wedding. How they dressed and the attire that they wore, it was fun. They were happy. After tying the knot, the couple moved to a comfortable home near the lake in Oconomowoc, Wisconsin. In 1994, Amy gave birth to their first son, who they named Wolfgang. 
1996, they added a daughter, and another son, Thor, came along in 1999. When the kids were growing up, she was a stay-at-home mom. Um, she wanted to raise those kids. She wanted to take care of the kids. Amy would stand up from like a mother bear, and she always called herself Mama T-Rex. They couldn't have asked for a better mother. While Amy stayed home with the kids, Stan worked 40 hours a week, 50 weeks a year, to make sure his family wanted for nothing. He was also pretty good at managing money and funds. He knew what was going on and how much, and he made a point of it. He'd sit back there, he'd go over his finances. I don't think I ever saw the guy unemployed. I've seen the guy drive dump trucks. I've seen him suck mud out of ditches. I've seen him chop hundreds of cords of wood. He had a love for family. He would literally do anything for family. As the children got older, Amy started working outside the home again, eventually landing an office position at a stone company in the nearby town of Sussex. While things were financially stable, Stan and Amy never flaunted what they had. Stan and Amy, they didn't buy the extravagant things. They made things work. They didn't have steak and potatoes for dinner every night. They didn't go out for dinner. Instead, Stan and Amy poured their savings into paying off and redecorating their home in a style that truly fit their personality. They had a little garage bar. He started decorating the walls. He had medieval swords, tools, battle regalia shields, little dragons here and there. The name of the garage, which was actually a bar, was the Dragon Inn. They were a little less normal than everybody, but they liked it that way, and so did I. Amy and Stan presided over their many get-togethers like a king and queen of a castle. When they did have the parties, you know, she'd stand up on a chair and lean across the bar, and he'd lean the other way, and they'd kiss, and people would cheer. Then, in 2015, Amy and Stan received an unexpected financial windfall. All of a sudden, she's like, oh, I have this $80,000 inheritance. It was some uncle that had passed and left it to them. Always wise with their money, Stan and Amy opted to put the lion's share of the inheritance toward paying down their mortgage. Amy put like $60,000 down on paying off the house. So they only owed like $17,000 on their house. There's not many people nowadays who can say that. With the house almost paid off and both he and Amy still working, Stan decided it was high time the couple splurged a little. Stan went ahead and bought the money for the Corvette. He bought Amy a nice Mustang convertible. When Stan got the Mustang for Amy, she was ecstatic. She has always wanted one. Stan paid for it in full. That's how much he loved her. By 2015, their son and daughter were out on their own, and only the youngest child, Thor, was still in the house. It seemed Stan and Amy were well set up for their golden years. And as their 22nd anniversary approached, the couple simply couldn't believe their luck. I was not only proud of my brother Stan, I was a little jealous of my brother Stan. Stan had what I would assume to be a perfect life. Or so it seemed. On May 17, 2015, what neighbor Donald Hansen finds will rip Stan and Amy's picture-perfect life apart at the seams. He initially just peels back the tarp a little bit and can see that it's Dan Van Wagner. I think anybody would be 
a little taken aback by what they saw. First responders arrive within minutes. They open the tarp to try to see if Stan is alive. He's not. He's cold to the touch, and there's nothing anybody can do. He is deceased. It was an apparent gunshot injury. The first responding officers could observe that. Detectives from the Oconomowoc Police Department are called in to secure the scene. As they do so, a terrified Amy looks on in disbelief. Amy was absolutely in hysterics, like any wife would be. Your husband's dead, you know? She was distraught. She was very sad. She was crying. She was, uh, you know, wringing her hands and acting very disturbed about the fact that her husband was dead. Coming up, as investigators process the scene, questions begin to swirl about what led to Stan's death, and the possibilities seem endless. Maybe he was selling guns and somebody just murdered him and stole them. It was very real. We thought this could be a possibility. He did something, he wasn't thinking straight. As they approached their 22nd wedding anniversary, Stan and Amy Van Wagner had never looked more in love. Stan and Amy really loved each other, and you could see it. You know, on some couples, you don't see it. Uh, you could definitely see it with them. With only their youngest son, Thor, still in the house, Amy and Stan were just a few months away from becoming empty nesters. That's why I always thought that my brother Stan had, had a great life. It should have been retirement time. Relax a little bit. You know, you've earned it. And it just didn't work out. That's because on May 17, 2015, Stan Van Wagner's lifeless body was found in the basement of his home, the victim of an apparent gunshot wound. As investigators cordon off the scene, news of Stan's death rips through the quiet lakeside community of Oconomowoc. Within the hour, Friends and family have all gathered outside Stan and Amy's home to try and comfort one another. It's not true, you know what I mean? You, you just leave your house, you go, not believing. You don't want to believe it. it. It slams you right in the gut to hear that your brother's gone, that you're never going to see him again, you're never going to get to talk to him again. On the front lawn, a bewildered Amy tells investigators what she knows about the events leading up to Stan's death. She said that the last time she had seen Stan was Friday morning, May 15th. Um, Stan said he was sick. He called into work. He was laying on the couch in the office, and I just opened the door and said, I got to go. I'm running late. He said, drive safe. Make sure work got my message. And did he indicate any plans that he had for the day or for? I thought he would be homesick. I thought he would still be there okay. when I got home. Okay. Amy says that she planned to knock off work early in order to take care of Stan. But when she got home, her husband was nowhere to be found. He wasn't home. He and wasn't. that's where, um, and I hadn't even talked to him. He didn't let me know that he felt better or anything. She thought maybe he was going woodcutting or fishing or something with his friends later in the day. He was very close with his friends, so he spent a lot of time with them. 
Amy says she still wasn't alarmed, even when Sunday afternoon rolled around and there was still no word from Stan. She had said it wasn't unusual that we hadn't seen each other all weekend. It wasn't unusual that we didn't check in with each other. That's just how Stan and I were. But when Stan failed to show for their regular Sunday dinner, Amy began to worry. On Sunday, Amy put up a Facebook post saying, flowers planted, dinners in the oven, just wondering where my husband is. So she says, I go downstairs, and she says, when I went in there, it was difficult for me to open the door, but eventually I got the door open and I see feet sticking out, blue tarp. And that's when she runs upstairs over to Don Hansen's house and calls 911. Amy's like, why did he do this? She was thinking that Stan took his own life. The talk that Sunday night was suicide. They treated the crime scene initially as a suicide. But why would Stan Van Wagner, a man who seemed to be leading a charmed life, decide to end it at the point of a gun? That's when Amy makes a startling revelation to police. Stan got the shingles, and he was very much in pain. He was so uncomfortable. Always went to work, but, you know, he was miserable. Amy also reveals that instead of seeking treatment from a doctor, Stan was self-medicating. He would post photos of a bottle of Jack Daniels, ibuprofen, Benadryl, just a cocktail of medications and alcohol, saying anything so I can sleep. That was Stan. He was one of those guys, I could fix it. Had Amy's fears come true? Had a combination of drugs, alcohol, and pain pushed her once happy husband over the edge? That was unbearable for him. So it was very real. We thought this could be a possibility. He did something, he wasn't thinking straight. Perhaps that explains why Stan's body was lying on a tarp. As investigators know, it's not unusual for suicide victims to plan ahead. It seems like a plausible theory until detectives take a closer look at the room where Stan's body was found. They don't find any bullets. They don't find any bullet casings. There is not a large amount of blood anywhere. Most importantly, there's no gun. They moved the body and they were like, oh, whoops, there's no gun here. <laughs> kind of hard to shoot yourself without the gun being in the same room. With no gun to be found, Investigators take a closer look at the body. It wasn't a headshot, it wasn't towards the heart. There were bullet holes in his back. Three bullet holes, to be precise. It wasn't an accident. It wasn't a suicide. It was a murder. So you went from trying to process that Stan took his own life to now he was murdered. And now you have a whole new set of emotions trying to figure out why, who, when. So they questioned, is this where he really died? Is this where he was really shot? Detectives find two more clues not far from Stan's body. They see a pillow. They see a laptop. There's a hole through it. 
It looked consistent with a bullet hole. As officers collect the pillow and laptop and tag them as evidence, detectives make their way upstairs. What we did find is pillows that were the same types were actually in the den. There are matching pillows on the couch in the office. The power cord to the laptop computer was still there, connected to an outlet. There wasn't necessarily a lot of damage in the room. Didn't look like there had been any type of struggle. There wasn't a lot of things out of place. That's when detectives discover something that does seem out of place, a deerskin rug. Stan wouldn't put a deerskin on the floor because you walk on the deerskin, it tears the hair out of it. It was decorative. It wouldn't be done on the floor. When we moved that deerskin rug, we found a massive pool of blood. We believe there was some effort to disguise the crime scene because of the deerskin rug on the floor. Investigators also find shell casings and bullet holes in the wall and floor. Based on that information, we know that Stan Van Wagner was killed in the office. This had to be where Stan had been shot and died. If that's the case, then who killed Stan Van Wagner and why? The patio door hadn't been pushed in. The front door hadn't had any sort of damage to it that would indicate it was forced in. We never located Stan's cell phone. And initially, that seemed to be the only thing missing, until officers notice a gun safe in the corner of the room. He asked Amy, you know, are there any guns missing? And she did indicate, yes, there are guns missing from that safe. Among the missing weapons are several rifles, as well as a 380 caliber pistol, the same caliber as the bullet casings found on the floor of the office. When investigators press Amy for more information about Stan's gun collection, she tells them that Stan was an avid sportsman and weapons enthusiast who liked to buy and trade guns on the internet. He always told me, it's a sickness, Rob. I love guns, I have to have them. And according to Amy, just prior to his death, Stan had been thinking of selling his 380 pistol. Could Stan have arranged a gun deal on Friday while Amy was at work, only to have it turn deadly? Maybe he was selling guns and maybe somebody just wanted them and didn't want to pay anything for them and murdered him and stole them. Coming up, did Stan's love of guns lead to his untimely death? Could a seemingly normal transaction have had tragic consequences? To Craigslist ad, somebody responds to, they steal a gun, kill him with it, uh, make off without having to pay a dime. The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are designed by over 200 language experts to help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Don't waste time on apps that don't work. Babbel's conversation-based teaching prepares you for real-life situations. 
And studies from Yale, Michigan State University, and others continue to prove Babbel is better. One study found that using Babbel for 15 hours is equivalent to a full semester at college. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription, but only for our listeners at babbel.com slash truecrime. Get up to 60% off at babbel.com slash truecrime, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash truecrime. Rules and restrictions may apply. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code AUDIO to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code AUDIO at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code AUDIO. For 20 years, Stan and Amy Van Wagner had lived life on their own terms. But now, Stan has been found dead in the couple's basement, the victim of a trio of gunshot wounds to the back. With a cache of weapons missing from Stan's gun safe, investigators wonder if Stan had been murdered in a gun deal gone wrong. Perhaps, you know, it's a Craigslist ad that somebody responds to. They steal a gun, kill him with it, make off without having to pay a dime. So we did look into Craigslist and other sites where Stan could have been selling a gun. Stan had not sold a gun anytime recently. With Craigslist a dead end, investigators searched the local classified ads to see if Stan had recently tried to sell his pistol there. Again, they come up empty. There was nothing in there that showed us Stan was in the process of selling a gun, had done anything recently to sell to somebody. With no clear proof that Stan had been trying to sell his 380 pistol, investigators turned their attention back to his wife, Amy. I said, well, Amy, you're going to be the number one suspect. They always start the inner circle, and they work their way out from there. In an interview room, Amy has trouble keeping her grief in check. I don't have any answers. I don't want to talk to anybody. I don't know, you know, what's going on. She's acting like any wife would whose husband just passed away, um, upset not knowing what to do, not thinking straight, just out of sorts. Amy eventually composes herself long enough to tell police that Stan's bout with shingles wasn't the only problem the couple had recently been facing. Since starting his sophomore year of high school, Thor, Amy and Stan's 16-year-old son, had been acting out in troubling ways. One of the things we learned from our investigation is that the son had been suspended from school a couple months ago, he was having a problem at school, and I could tell when it got to a bad point, you know, he would totally withdraw, and, and you know, nobody likes me, and they, mm-hmm. I don't know why I'm still here. He was in trouble or getting tickets for driving or loitering or whatever, you know, it might have been stealing. Stan also knew Thor smoked marijuana. According to Amy, Thor's behavior didn't sit well with her husband at all. You know, and when Stan found the pot and went completely ballistic, 
And he went nuts, and he had every right. I mean, he went crazy. He, you know, drugs in our house. I mean, Stan's maybe, I think he got high once in his entire life. So he's not a real fan? No, no, you know, he ex-military, it's illegal, you know. Okay. You didn't have an excuse for bad behavior. You just had bad behavior. He had no patience for it. He was extremely upset about it. Um, I know he grounded him. I know he took his computer away. He'd make you feel pretty miserable when he wasn't happy with you. Amy says the situation had grown even more tense three days earlier when Thor was suspended from school. Stan did have so much pride, and please don't disrespect me. This son was suspended from school on Thursday, and that's a big disrespect. Could a violent confrontation between Stan and his youngest son be the cause of death? He was not happy with his father. He was kind of a lost boy at that time. We learned that Stan Van Wagner kicked their son out. He had changed the locks on the door. And that all occurred during October, during this big fight. Amy is adamant that Thor could not be involved. Thor? would have turned the gun on himself before he turned it on his dad. Amy identifies another man as the possible killer, the son of Stan's former best friend, Mark. The kids refer to him as Uncle Mark, and many nights Uncle Mark stayed over because Stan and Mark were drinking. But according to Amy, one day in 2011, she was cleaning her teenage daughter's bedroom when a text message popped up on her daughter's phone. It was from Mark. She's like, why is Uncle Mark writing her? What is he saying? She starts going through the history of text messages and began to shake. Amy tells police that the text messages revealed that 46-year-old Mark had been engaging in sexual intercourse with her teenage daughter for almost a year. Needless to say, Amy was furious, but her anger paled in comparison to the white-hot rage of her husband. Stan was ready to go after Mark. I mean, you did this to my daughter in my house. You were my friend. How dare you? As any dad, you'd go after that son of a bitch and you'd kill him. According to Amy, cooler heads ultimately prevailed, and Stan and Amy turned Mark into the police. After his arrest, Mark accepted a plea deal, but on the day of his sentencing, Mark stood before the judge and claimed he was the real victim in the case. He actually had the nerve to say, Your Honor, she was all over me. She, she was asking, so how was I to not and it took a lot for all of us to just sit there and listen to that. Amy says that's when Stan snapped. During the time when Martin had been sentenced in court, Stan had actually attacked Martin in court. It was a melee. It was a literal free-for-all in the courtroom. We both had about five sheriffs piled on him. Amy says that while the court officers were trying to subdue Stan, Mark's son began shouting threats at him. His son had threatened uh, to kill Stan right there in the courtroom. But even with Mark behind bars, she and Stan took the threats from his son seriously. 
based on his reputation around town. His son was known to be in a gang in South Milwaukee. Stan had given his kids a vehicle, and the vehicle was spotted around town a few times. Had Mark's son finally made good on his threat to kill Stan? If so, was Mark the one who put him up to it? Speaking with investigators, the Van Wagner's friends and family certainly think so. Mark was somebody that initially everybody had brought up, that he had someone, his son, a friend, or somebody else take revenge on Stan. Investigators pull the visitor log from the prison where Mark is incarcerated. We looked at phone calls, visiting records. That was really a dead end, essentially. We were able to say, we don't believe he did this. There was nothing there. We did look at the son was working at the time, and we did look to see if he was working on the day that Stan was murdered, and he was. Looked at his cell phone records. He was nowhere near Oconomowoc. We felt comfortable and confident that they had nothing to do with this murder. With Mark and his son eliminated as possible suspects, detectives turn their attention back to Stan and Amy's 16-year-old son, Thor. During an interview at the station, Thor admits that his relationship with his father had been bumpy as of late. I think that's what went through a lot of his mind, is that dad didn't respect or, or, or treat him as good as he expected. But Thor tells police that he would never want to hurt his dad. He loved their father. All the children did. It wasn't that he was a bad father. Even though Thor is adamant he had nothing to do with his dad's murder, investigators aren't so sure. It was said that Thor was home. You know, he was, he was in the house almost that whole weekend. If Stan's murdered here within the home, don't you think Thor's going to notice this? He's not like he's a little toddler. This is a 16-year-old kid. He, he knows what a gunshot sounds like. According to Thor, he never heard anything out of the ordinary the entire weekend. Coming up, Thor makes a surprising revelation, causing detectives to question everything they know about the investigation. And in the process, shine the spotlight on another member of the Van Wagner family. Thor was crying. She's telling everybody else that Mr. Van Wagner stayed home sick from work. That is an inconsistency. May 20th, 2015. It's now been three days since Stan Van Wagner was found dead in his basement. His wife, Amy, initially told detectives that Stan had been homesick on Friday, May 15th. But Stan and Amy's son, Thor, claimed his mother told him just the opposite. Well, there was a discrepancy there where you're telling the only other person who could be in the house that Stan's at work, but you're telling everybody else outside of that house that Stan is at home sick. That was another big red flag that went up. So where was Stan Van Wagner on Friday, May 15th? Investigators send Stan's laptop which had been shot during the attack, to a forensic expert. He was able to verify that at the exact time of 3.57 AM, there was a sudden and unexpected 
termination of the computer activity. Could this sudden termination have been from a bullet striking the screen? And if Stan had been shot at precisely 3.57 a.m. on Friday, May 15th, how had he managed to call in sick to work later that morning? Apparently, he didn't. When police visit Stan's work, Stan's boss tells them that on May 15th, 2015, Stan had texted in sick. Sicker than a dog was, was the text messages that, that his boss was getting, which would be my brother's type of language. According to Stan's boss, the language sounded like Stan, but the method of communication was completely out of character. My brother's employer was even surprised. My brother never missed work in all the years that he worked there, and he never sent a text message. My brother was not very tech-savvy. I don't think my brother knew how to send a text message. He would have called you and told you. He, just, he, he wasn't one to not do things in person. So if Stan hadn't sent the text message, then who had? Until investigators can determine the location from which the text message was sent, identifying the sender will be next to impossible. We cannot prove with 100% certainty who was using the phone. Investigators subpoena Stan Van Wagner's cell phone records. While they wait for the order to go through, they pay his widow, Amy, another visit. They're hoping to clear up the discrepancy between what Amy told her friends regarding Stan's whereabouts and what she told her son, Thor. However, this time around, Amy isn't quite so cooperative. She didn't want to talk to the police. They weren't allowed the house anymore. They had to do things with her lawyer. That's not to say that that proves guilt, but it sure doesn't prove innocence. You know, it doesn't, doesn't look good for you when you do that, you know? She was very against even talking to the police or doing anything. You'd think you'd want to help them all you can to figure this out, you would think. With Amy refusing to answer questions, investigators reach out to the Van Wagner's friends and family. And again, they all say the same thing. Stan and Amy were very happy together. When you were in the house, they're joking around back and forth to each other. Though friends and family all say Stan and Amy's relationship was still on solid ground, some of them suggest there was a brief period, about a year ago, where the marriage seemed to be in trouble. And it all had to do with finances. Amy was what we found a little bit more free with her money. Amy had a tendency to run the credit cards up and then get extra credit cards, and there was issues with that. Friends say that Amy's profligate spending prompted Stan to start keeping a firmer grasp on the family purse strings. Pretty much if he stuck his hand in his pocket and he couldn't pay for it, he didn't need it. They had separate checking accounts, separate, separate finances, and that's because Amy had been uh, accused of being a little looser with her money. Sometimes he would give Amy some money for groceries and cigarettes or things like that. But he was really the main person who would control the finances in the house. Amy flaunted breaking Stan's rules on spending money and would even brag to friends about how she'd open the safe where Stan kept his guns, along with a huge chunk of cash. She took money from Stan. She knew where the key was to the safe. It was like a joke to her that she could get in there at any time she wanted. Friends tell police that in October of 2014, Stan discovered that Amy had been stealing money from the safe, 
and he put the family finances on an even tighter lockdown. He even threatened Amy with divorce. He would tell Amy, well, you can leave. You know where the door is. This is all mine. This house is mine. Anything under this roof is mine. All of which made Amy terrified that she'd soon be all alone and completely broke. Stan was threatening that he was going to take everything. She really believed that he was going to get everything if he was going to follow through with this you know, threat of divorce. Friends also say that during that time, Amy secretly borrowed money from them in an effort to pay down her credit cards and get back into Stan's good graces. She was borrowing money from family and friends and stuff that she swore she would pay back. And for a while, it seemed like Amy's plan worked. They worked through their issues based on what we found out from friends. She essentially said things were resolved. It seemed to be over in January. Things seemed to be getting better. Friends say that was about the same time Amy received $80,000 in inheritance money. That's when some of them started calling in their debts. I told her, I said, you know, money is tight with me. Can, can you give me the money? Amy's like, yeah, I'll get that money back to you. Not a problem. But apparently, it was a problem. Because even though the inheritance money came from Amy's uncle, Stan insisted on controlling every penny of it. He said, no, you're not going to just blow it. Instead of just wildly spend it, he kind of told her, hey, you got to put this towards the house. Let's get the house paid down. Friends tell police that without access to the inheritance money and with no way to pay back the money she borrowed, Amy began to panic. All of a sudden, she feels the need she needs to pay it off. It was going to cause obvious stress in the marriage, perhaps a divorce, perhaps he would throw her out. Armed with this new information, police subpoena both Amy's cell phone and financial records. In our case, we were very fortunate that these cell phone records included the content of text messages. And what those texts show is a cash-strapped woman growing more desperate with every day. She ran into a wall where she didn't have the money to pay them back. They had been asking Amy for the money that she borrowed from them. All of this was coming to a head, and Stan was about to find out. Bank records and ATM surveillance videos also show Amy withdrawing thousands of dollars just hours after Stan's death. She took this money out of the account, and she went and paid back all these people that she borrowed money from. This is very serious, very serious case. They're obviously going right after you right now. So as your friend, get an attorney. And she says, but won't I look guilty? Well, yeah. I said, but. You're going to look guilty no matter what. Coming up, the most damning evidence comes when investigators finally receive Stan Van Wagner's cell phone records. Stan Van Wagner's cell phone was nowhere near where Amy Van Wagner had said he was. For over 20 years, Amy and Stan Van Wagner appeared to be living an idyllic life together. But in February 2016, nine months after Stan was found dead in the couple's home, investigators have pieced together evidence that suggests the eclectic couple's marriage was far from perfect, and that Amy murdered Stan in order to avoid the fallout from her mounting financial problems. 
There wasn't necessarily just one thing that we saw where we thought, yes, this has to be Amy. It was everything put together that led us to believe that she is the one who murdered Stan Van Wagner. I don't think she wanted to deal with the aftermath of having to listen to Stan tell her, hey, I screwed up. You know, I can't trust you again. Based on cell phone records, bank statements, and evidence collected from the crime scene, investigators believe that on the night of May 15th, 2015, Amy opened Stan's gun safe, grabbed his 380 pistol, snagged a pillow from the sofa in the den, and crept up behind Stan while he was on his laptop in the family office. We believe that around 3.57 a.m., Amy comes in and shoots Stan three times. The last shot being into his chest while he's on the floor. She apparently used the pillow to muffle the sound, was what we concluded. Amy proceeded to drag his body downstairs, wrapped him in a tarp, and uh, left him there till Sunday when she ran hysterically to the neighbor's home. On February 24th, 2016, detectives issue an arrest warrant for Amy Van Wagner. Amy's arrest was devastating. I couldn't believe it. It's my friend. I don't want to believe it. You don't want to ever believe that somebody you knew, you loved, would ever do such a thing, would ever have it in them to do such a thing. At trial, Amy Van Wagner is found guilty of first-degree murder and is sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. When I heard the verdict that she was finally guilty, I just bursted into tears. I was so happy and so relieved. As Amy is carted off to Teichita State Prison, those closest to the quirky couple still can't fathom the senseless nature of the crime. Whatever got somebody to that point is to take away a husband, father to your children. How do you justify that? I can't understand it. Amy had to be desperate. Amy had to be at her last straw. If it was money, it was just, it wasn't even a whole lot of money. It's just filthy green paper. It doesn't, you know, <laughs> it's just crazy. Amy is serving a life sentence in prison without the possibility of parole. For more information on Snapped, go to oxygen.com. Audible is the destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Allow your imagination to be piqued by stories that are brought to life through captivating sound design, eerie soundscapes, and dynamic performances. As an Audible member, you'll be able to keep your heart rate up month after month because you can choose one title a month to keep from the entire catalog, including the latest bestsellers and new releases. If you're in the mood for a shocking psychological thriller, check out None of This is True by Lisa Jewell. Embrace brand new exclusive thrillers from bestselling authors who are guaranteed to keep you gripped. New members can try Audible free for 30 days. Visit audible.com slash thrill or text thrill 
to 500-500. That's audible.com slash thrill. Or text thrill to 500-500.